It's great to be with the CTK Ferndale family. If I haven't met you before, uh, my name is Grant, and, and we would have had no idea 18 years ago when I stumbled into the Christ the King story that we would have multiple campuses in multiple places. I mean, it's not just our five campuses, it's also the Linden campus and the Kendall campus, and soon to be CTK Blaine, which we are really excited about. I mean, God just continues to stir little pockets of people because we have a conviction that if you can go to church in your community, it's a good thing for you to go to church in your community and not be driving past all kinds of church doors in order to get somewhere. So I love the fact that CTK Ferndale is growing and thriving. I love Pastor Rich. We are bonded together on a Canadian heritage. And uh, I just love knowing. You guys don't know this, but the Canadian, we are taking over your country slowly but surely, <laughs> one church at a time. That's how it's going. You didn't see it coming. So... 18 years ago, when I stumbled in the door of CTK, I, I learned something very, very quickly that was, un, that was unusual to me. In the church history that I grew up in, you got points for being perfect. And when I came to CTK, all of a sudden I learned that your perfect resume didn't mean anything. In fact, if you presented your perfect church resume to somebody from Christ the King, they encouraged you to take the denial class that was uh, offered every <laughs> single week because I found that there was actually an embracing of people and their flaws. And that was refreshing to me. I didn't know what to do with a church that actually wanted people to, to, to admit the fact that I got some issues and you got some issues. And, and I remember the very first weekend that I preached at Christ the King. They kind of just threw me up there up, uh, up front. And I talked about a guy by the name of Jacob. And so when they assigned me Jacob this year uh, during the Flawed series, I'm like, I am completely down with that. But you're going to have to forgive me today. I'm actually going to go back 18 years into the archives and bring out a message that, that, that I preached for the very first time. So I want you to make me, so, so I'm 50 now, believe it or not. No, so 32 years old, first weekend at Christ the King in a room kind of like this. And this is how I introduced myself. I got a weird last name. I mean, and it's just true, right? People pretend that it's not a weird last name. It's a weird last name. Fishbook, right? And people try to put a spiritual spin on it. You know, it's just like, oh, Fisher of Men, the good book. I'm like, just don't do that. That's weird, Okay. <laughs> It's just a weird last name. Now, that wasn't my original last name. My original last name was Foshbuk, and my great-grandfather, Abraham Foshbuk, came to Halifax, Nova Scotia in 1927, brought my family over from what is now modern-day Poland, and he walked in front of a Canadian immigration officer, and the immigration officer looked at the name and said, you can't come into Canada with a name like that. And so he goes, it looks like Fishbook, and that's what he wrote down on the immigration card. Someday I'm going to hunt that man down like a dog. Like... Do you have any idea what middle school students do to a kid whose last name is Fishbook? Like, your name just gets massacred. I have been called everything. Fish head, fish bone, fish guts, fish line, fish bowl, fish jerk. I mean, you just name it. It just goes and goes. I'm not scarred. I'm just bitter, okay? And this is, this is group therapy this morning here in Ferndale. And there were times in my life when I just wanted to say, could someone change my name? Could someone just change my name? Like, could we go with something cool like Fisher? You know, or just something cool like that, but this whole fish book thing. Now, I don't think I've got the worst name in the world. That honor would go to a lady by the name of Ima Johnston from Green Bay, Wisconsin, who in 1982 married a guy by the name of Reginald Loser, so her legal name became I'm a Loser. Why would you do that to yourself? That's what I want to know. You know, our society places a lot of weight on names and titles. If I say the name Rich Warner to you, you immediately respond with warmth because that's your pastor and everybody loves Rich. If I say the name Jim Carrey, some of you will groan, others of you will go, that's a guy, he's really, really funny. If I say the name Seattle Mariners, you all sink into a deep depression because that's just 
they tease us every single year, right? It's like, get over the 500 hump, guys. Please, please, please. Names actually cause reactions within each one of us in the early 1980s. Every Thursday night at 8 o'clock, my parents would allow me to watch a television show that was based on a little place, a little bar in Boston called Cheers. And I love Cheers because every single show opened exactly the same way. This little rotund guy would come bursting through the door, and everybody in the bar would say his name. And if you were alive in the 80s, you'll understand his name was Norm, right? What I loved about that little bar, though, was its tagline. It's a place where everybody knows your name. One of the reasons why we didn't try to build a big monstrosity of a church in Bellingham, but instead to go after each individual neighborhood and each individual community is because we wanted to create churches where somebody actually could know your name. Because your name actually matters. There's a couple of instances in the Bible where God strategically chooses at a strategic time in a strategic place for a strategic reason to actually change the name of one of his followers. And today I want to introduce you to one of those guys. His name is Jacob. Jacob was uh, one of two boys, and his name actually means heel catcher or trickster. The bottom line is Jacob was a con man. He was a deceptive man with a broken past. If he could take advantage of your weakness, he would do so without a second thought. I was a middle school pastor for more than a decade. I had a kid in my group. His name was Aaron. Aaron would show up on Wednesday nights with a black t-shirt, and in tiny little letters written on his chest were the words, girls hate me. And I watched Aaron do the same con every single week because the girls in our group would walk in and they would look at Aaron and they'd be talking to him and all of a sudden they'd read his shirt and they'd get up close so they could see the little tiny letters, girls hate me. And the response was always the same, Aaron, we don't hate you, we love you. And while they were all hugging him and embracing him, he was making eye contact with me and going, yeah, this is worth con man, total fraud. And that's the kind of guy we're going to deal with this morning. You know, we're going to talk about his name just a little bit. And what I'd like to do is actually I'd like to take three steps back into Jacob's old name. And some of you know these famous Bible stories. But the first one's from Genesis chapter 25. He, he takes advantage of a weakness and he actually steals his brother's birthright. So let me tell you the classic Bible story. Jacob's got a brother named Esau. Esau is a rugged man. He loves to be outside. He's a hunter. He's a fisherman. And one day he comes back from hunting all day. Apparently he's not a very good hunter because he comes back with nothing. And his brother, Jacob, is sitting there with a bowl of soup that his mommy made for him. And he sees his brother and his brother is so exhausted. He walks up to him in the tent. He's just like, you got to give me some of the soup. And Jacob's just like, I'll give you some of the soup, all right, but it's going to cost you. I want your birthright. Kind of a big deal, okay? Your birthright allowed the oldest son to have precedence over all of his other brothers and also gave him a double portion of his father's inheritance. Here's the crazy thing. Esau accepts the deal. So apparently Esau is not the brightest bulb in the pack, right? He's just like momentary hunger overwhelms him. He gives him something that he can never take back. And this is what we learn about Jacob. He will exploit your weakness in a millisecond. Never give it a second thought. You're hungry. I've got food. It's going to cost you. It's an amazing story. Secondly, let's take another step back into his old name. So he rips off his brother's birthright. And then secondly, Jacob actually deceives his own father and then steals his brother's blessing. Let me unpack that for you, okay? I don't know why the Bible tells us specific details 
but it actually tells this about Jacob and Esau, okay? It says that, that Esau was, uh, how do I put this politically correct? He was hairy. <laughs> he was covered in hair. He, need to, he needed to discover manscaping, okay? <laughs> Guys, let me do you a favor. All right, if you take your shirt off and it moves in the wind, you need to shave that stuff off because you're in, for the love of Jesus, make it go away. Okay, so Esau is covered in hair. Read your Bible. It's actually in there. Jacob was actually, it says his brother was a hairy man and Jacob was a smooth man. So he didn't have any, I mean, didn't have any body hair, right? Jacob wanted to, he already has his brother's birthright. Now he wants to steal his brother's blessing. His father could not see. He was blind. So the Bible actually tells us that Jacob puts animal skin and fur on his back, disguises himself so that he smells like a man of the land. He comes in. His dad can't see. He touches his hand, which is covered to it, actually feels like Esau, and he steals his brother's blessing. Why was that a big deal? Because your blessing allowed you, allowed you to become the head of the family. So he's got his birthright. Now he's got his blessing. Here's the twisted part of it. Jacob's mom actually helps him pull off the con. It's a really sad and tragic story. But it tells us again about his character. I mean, what kind of a man takes advantage of his dad's disability in order to get himself ahead? Let's take another step back into his old nature. Because not only does he steal his brother's birthright, then he steals his brother's blessing, but he actually just leaves a trail of broken relationships and broken families. Genesis chapter 27 is one of the most tragic chapters in all of Scripture because we find Jacob actually running from his family. His family and his in-laws are chasing him around the country, trying to kill him. And some of you are like, I thought that was normal. Like, you should, you should meet my family sometime. Okay, that's not normal. It's not normal. It's just Jacob living up to his old name. And I'll tell you what, this guy is anything but a stellar success story. He's alone, he's hunted, he's broken, he's separated from God, he's in the middle of an identity crisis, he hasn't got a clue who he is, and he just, he doesn't even know his name anymore. Because he's got all these labels attached to him, con man, failure, family, destruction mechanism. We all carry those labels, don't we? Just Jacob living up to his old name. You want it in a simple sentence? He's flawed. Just like me and just like you. And then the most, what I consider to be two of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture show up. But God. But God. So I stumble into the Christ the King story 18 years ago. I'm broken, I'm hurt, I'm wounded. Had walked away from another church. Just, I, I mean, I, and I, I had contributed stuff. Believe me, I was not innocent in the, in the situation. They had their stuff. I had my stuff. I was just beat up, broken, hurting, wounded. And I stumble into the doors of a church where it's okay to actually be flawed. And, and then a little while later, I all of a sudden become the pastor, right? And some of you are sitting here today and you go, Grant, you, you know, I've, but I've got a past, but I've got a story, but I have these weaknesses, but I've got this really bad resume. Here's what I can tell you. Be very, very careful how you use that resume because you may end up becoming the pastor of the church. That's just the way it works around here. They just hand you a microphone, right? It's craziness. When I became the, the lead pastor at Christ the King in 2003, everything kind of went boom on an Easter. Some of you were there, right? 
And I started thinking to myself, well, this is supposed to be a recovery church, and people do 12 steps. I better do 12 steps so that I could understand everybody else's dysfunction because that's what a good pastor is supposed to do. I get into a group of other guys in 12 steps, and all of a sudden I realize something. I have issues. I am flawed to the core. I'm kind of like a con man in some ways. But God showed up. And here we are, all these years later, still getting a front row seat of God doing something crazy in Whatcom County that none of us deserve to be a part of. But God just keeps showing up saying, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep restoring broken people because that's what I do best. In spite of the past failures, God's got a plan for Jacob. The plan's actually to spawn an entire nation that's going to follow him. So think about that. A con man is going to be renamed and given an entire nation to follow him. Only God could pull off that kind of a story. Genesis chapter 28, the Bible says, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you, talking to a con man, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread out from the west to the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring, for I am with you. I tell you what, I am so glad I was not God in that moment. Because if I was going to pick a single human being to spawn and lead an entire nation, I would not pick this con man. I would have picked some nice guy with a really pretty resume. But instead, God decides to go after the con man and say, I'm going to actually create an entire nation out of you because that's what I do. And we're going to find out very, very quickly what happened. So we took three steps into his old name. He proved that he was a con man. Now God is going to step in and say, but God's got a different plan. Let's take three steps in the direction of his new name. Because he doesn't just get to wipe all the old stuff out. In fact, he's got to go back and do the hard work. Genesis chapter 31, Jacob gets given a job. You're going to have to go back and do the hard work of listening to God's direction. And here's God's first piece of wisdom. Jacob, you need to go home and make peace with your relatives. Oh, wow. Really? Yep. You got to go back to your brother, and you got to go back to your dad, and you got to go back to your dysfunctional mom who helped you pull off the ultimate con. You've got to go back and make all of these things right. And I'll tell you what, Jacob's old name, I'm sure, showed up in that moment just like, yeah, I don't think so. I'll do anything you want me to, but I'm not doing that. For one simple reason, I go back, they kill me. I'm not interested in actually doing that. But that's not the old guy that we're dealing with anymore. All of a sudden, there's this new Jacob who's been introduced to the two words, but God, and he begins to go in a different direction. So he actually heads back to go and make it right. And this is something that I have so learned. When you're willing to do the hard work of mending relationships, it always results in freedom in the end for you and the person that may have been hurt. So Jacob does the hard work. Secondly, taking a step towards a new name, Jacob does the hard work of repairing some broken bridges. Genesis 32 says that Jacob heads home and he knows at some point he's going to run into a friend of his, Esau, his brother. Remember him? Stole his birthright, stole his blessing, and just in case you're wondering, in Middle Eastern culture, once you've got it, you can't give it back. So Esau, I'm sure, is still frustrated. 
So what does Jacob do? Jacob do, does what we all do when we've done something wrong to somebody, right? We send gifts ahead. If you're a husband, you've done it. I know you have. Don't pretend that you haven't. You're not allowed to lie in church, right? You do something stupid. You act like a jerk to your wife. And what do you do? You go and buy flowers. And they're the first thing coming through the door, right? It's a peace offering because you want to try and make something right. That's what Jacob does. He sends servants with a whole bunch of gifts ahead. It's a really costly way of saying, Esau, please don't kill me. Please, just don't kill me. The messengers go, take the gifts, then they come back, and here's their words to Jacob. Your brother is following us with 400 of his closest friends. Oh. And you know what's interesting? Jacob doesn't run. Old Jacob, I'm out of here. Thank you very much. Move on to the next town. Become the grifter that I've always been. Execute the con. Make some money so I can pay my way out of this. He doesn't run. He actually stays. Because he's willing to pay the price to put the relationship back together again. Going back and making things right is hard. When I did 12 steps my first time, that fearless moral inventory just about killed me. Those of you that are doing recovery work, you are my heroes because I know it's not easy. Got up to steps eight and nine where you're trying to make amends and, and putting the pieces back together again and having to look up and find friends from college that I had to go back to and say, uh, you remember me? And like, oh, I remember you all right. I need you to forgive me for the way I treated you and the way that I acted and paying the hard price because some people are willing to forgive and some people aren't. But God still calls us to clean our side of the street. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That Bible verse doesn't talk about anybody on the other side of the road. Just you. While Jacob is waiting for his brother, another conflict breaks out that actually takes us right to the edge of where God changes Jacob's name. Genesis 32, verse 24, Jacob does the hard work of struggling with God's direction because this is what happens. So it's late at night. And God comes to wrestle with Jacob. Anybody else wrestle with God in the middle of the night sometimes? I mean, am I the only one where Jesus comes and sits on the edge of your bed and says, we need to talk about some soul stuff, Grant. Some of your flaws have come to, to bear, and we're going to need to actually have a conversation about how we're going to put these pieces together again. I mean, I don't think I'm the only one that's ever done that. Well, that's what happens to Jacob. The Bible says, so Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until Daybreak, you know, they call it a theophany. Some people say it was Jesus himself. Some people say it was an angelic representative from heaven. However it was, it was a heavenly messenger who's wrestling to a con man to the ground once and for all. It says, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what's your name, Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. You're like, oh, that's where it came from. Every time you turn on CNN, right, there's tension and there's drama 
surrounding all of Jacob and his offspring and all the rest of us that fall into that family line. And, and you look at this little tiny country in the middle of the Middle East in which there's still so much tension swirling around, and there always will be. My Bible tells me that that tension's going to be there all the way to the end of time when Jesus comes back and puts everything right. Well, just think about it. This is the history of an entire nation. It comes down to God scrapping with a con man. I get the picture of wrestling with God. I mean, the Bible almost makes it sound like, like Jacob had an upper hand. I have an uncle. His name is Mac. Mac played semi-professional hockey. He was a gold miner. He's kind of a bigger, larger-than-life guy. Everybody loved Uncle Mac. And I remember when, they, when we were at family reunions, everybody wanted to wrestle with Uncle Mac because he was just so big and he was so powerful. And he had really, really long arms. So you'd run at him with all of your eight-year-old passion. You know, I'm really going to take Uncle Mac. And he'd just reach out and stick his hand on your forehead and hold you out there. And you'd swing and swing and swing. You know, why I didn't grab his wrist, I have no idea. Just not that bright, right? But you'd just swing and he'd just kind of laugh at you. Keep swinging, kid. Just keep going. Uh-huh, yeah, that's good, boy. You're really strong today. He was totally playing with me, but I always felt like I was winning somehow. I just get this picture of God Almighty with his hand on Jacob's forehead saying, okay, I know you think you're winning. Keep swinging, Jacob. Come on, con man, give it your best shot because in just a moment, I'm going to love you enough to break you. God gives him a new name of his tenacity, a new name that befits his character and his devotion. God calls him Israel, one who fights with God. And don't ever miss it. He actually honored him for having the courage to fight it out with God himself. He fought with God, and now he's fighting with God, with God as his greatest ally, not his most convenient enemy, and he's pushing in the right direction because God's going to rip off all that old con man stuff and move him in a completely new direction direction. All of a sudden, we're seeing a trickster turn into a warrior, a thief into a man of integrity, a guy who's completely broken to a person who's completely whole. 18 years ago, I showed up at Christ the King not because I was looking for a job. I showed up at Christ the King to get Rick Todd off my back. <laughs> Rick had been inviting Laurel and I, you need to come to church. You guys need to come to church. You need to come to church. They're like, Rick, this is what you don't understand. I was a pastor. I'm no longer a pastor. I love Jesus. I just can't stand his girlfriend. She's mean. I got bit by the bride. I'm not interested in having anything to do with the family of God again. Famous last words. But God had a different plan. The reason that I was struggling is because for the first time in my life, 18 years ago, I didn't have my title anymore. All of a sudden, it wasn't Pastor Grant, it was just Grant. So in a time of confusion, I was having an identity crisis. I didn't even know my name. And I got there because I was asking myself some really hard questions. Grant, are you the same person on the stage as off the stage? How come you're struggling so much now that you haven't got your title anymore? Where do you find your real significance? Do you recognize the person who stares back at you in the mirror, I mean, Grant, you keep telling everybody, trust God or die. You're going to? going to practice what you preach? You feel forgotten? You feel like God didn't got a clue what your name is anymore? And I'll tell you what, the reason I was so broken and crushed was not because anything bad had happened to me, but because all my answers to those questions just seemed to make my head bigger and my heart smaller. 
I spent that summer working as a subterranean residential fortification specialist, which means I crawled under houses, tore out rotten wood, and put new wood in. That's what I did. Work construction, which is a horrible thought. Because I might be able to, to fix somebody's issue or answer a question on biblical theology. Me with a sawzall is a scary, scary proposition, okay? Crawling under houses for months at a time, and here's what I learned. I learned I'm not as nearly as afraid of spiders as you thought I was, because there's a lot of spiders under houses in Whatcom County. I learned there's something unbelievably holy about just good old-fashioned hard work. And I learned that God likes to chase rebellious pastors under houses. <laughs> and He likes to ask really hard questions about your identity and your name. I waged a war under those houses that summer for my own identity, and I came out with one conclusion. If you don't get anything else this morning, I hope you'll take this with you. The only name of true consequence is the one that's assigned to you by God. The only name of true consequence is the one assigned to you by God, because up to that point, I had names stuck all over me. Liar, failure, former pastor, not good for anything, not wanted Lonely, isolated, broken. I had names stuck all over me, but that's not the way God saw me. And I learned something that summer. I learned that, that regardless of the name or the title that the world had attached to me, I learned that God just loved me. I learned that God loved me whether I was working in a church or under a church. I'm not saying God changed my name. I'm saying He changed my understanding of my own identity. Because with all my failures and all my mistakes and all the hurt that I caused, unintentional and intentional, all of my warts and all of the things that made me ugly, I found that, that the world was more than happy to attach those names to me, but that's not the way God sees me, and that's not the name that God gives me. The world calls me failure, but the God of Jacob, the God who makes all things new, the God who loves to change names and destiny, He had a different name for me, and I heard Him start to whisper, my child, dearly loved. Worth dying for. Didn't know what to do with that one. Adopted kid of the king. And he kept saying that to me over and over again. My child, dearly loved, worth dying for. Adopted kid of the king. My child, dearly loved, worth dying for. Adopted kid of the king. And some of you are already reacting, going, but that's not the way I see myself. I got a broken past. I got a broken reputation. I'm damaged goods. And God keeps saying, no, you're not. To me, you are my child, dearly loved, worth dying for, adopted kid of the king. Look what I did to Jacob. I want to do the same thing to you. I'm the same God yesterday, today, and forever. Let me interject the words, but God, into your life. I mean, I think the greatest name change you can undergo is when Jesus comes into your life and He changes all of it. It doesn't mean all the issues are gone. It just means you come to God with all of your ashes and He says, I can make that beautiful, you know. I'm in the business. I change names. I change reputations. I change destinies. You bring me your garbage, I'll give you something beautiful. My child, dearly loved, worth dying for, adopted kid of the king. Many years ago at a National Youth Workers Convention, my wife and I uh, went to one of the sessions and they introduced a Christian band. They were called Lost and Found. 
you've probably never heard of them. They were the two strangest human beings I have ever seen in concert anywhere. They were just weird. One guy on a guitar, one guy on a piano. The guy with the guitar, always let, he always sang on one foot and, the, and his back leg went like this, like a metronome through the whole thing. The piano player's name was Bomb. That was his actual name. And every once in a while, he'd just go, boo, just for the, just for the sake of it. Scared me to death. Sorry. I just scared everybody out. <laughs> Called him Bomb. And I'm just like, what, are, what is up with these people? The deepest lyrics that they sang were, oh, them lions, they can eat my body, but they can't swallow my soul. Like, what is up? Laurel, we were actually getting ready to leave. And then the guy with the guitar started telling a story. He said, I'm not married, but someday I really hope to be married. And one day, if I'm married and God blesses me with a really good wife, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that he'll also bless me with a son. And if, and if God blesses me with a son, I'm, I'm going to name him Tim. But we're going to spell it S-T-E-V-E. <laughs> and he goes, I know it's going to cause issues because people are going to come up and say, hi, Steve. And go, actually, uh, it's Tim. No, 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 young man, like, look right here. It, it, it says, this is your name, and this is how it's spelled. It says right here, S-T-E-V-E, and I know it's going to be confusing, but he's going to look at them and say, I know, but, but my dad and my mom pronounce it Tim. <laughs> and I am so confused. <laughs> Until he said, the world says, that my name is liar, cheat, fraud, thief, and lawbreaker. But because of my Father in heaven, I'd appreciate if you'd pronounce it right. Because my name in heaven is pronounced my child, dearly loved, worth dying for and an adopted kid of the king. I don't care about your broken resume, got one. I don't care about how bad you've screwed your life up, been there, done that. All I know is this, whatever name you may have assigned yourself or the world may have assigned you, Jesus pronounces it differently. Your name, before God, is my child, dearly loved, worth dying for, adopted kid of the king. Take that name with you, it will overwhelm and overcome all of your flaws. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you for not giving up on Jacob. Thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for another opportunity to learn how you pronounce our name. And God, we celebrate the fact that we can, that we can wear the titles that Jesus has given us. This week, Lord, may we live worthy of the name, my child, dearly loved, worth dying for, and an adopted kid of the King. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.